live from the Badlands of Texas. You're listening to or you're watching Midnight Radio. I'd like to say hello to everybody on YouTube, everybody on Rumble, everybody on No Agenda Tube or MidnightRad.io. Hello, Fruit Loops. It doesn't matter where you're coming from in the world. There'll always be a place for you here, even on a day such as this, Fruit Loop Friday. Hello, everybody. Ho! Got some disturbing things for you today. Man, I almost got kicked off of uh, Twitter, man. Someone contacted me, and they're like, all you post is murder stories. Are you some kind of a weirdo? And I said, well, this is all you need to know, and I put a link to put a link to this show to say hello to everybody in the chat room. I'd like to thank, before we finish our introductions here our executive producers lady lisa i'd like to thank lady lisa always at the top thank you very much if it wasn't for you there would be no midnight rad.io and no show for sure i'd like to thank lady kayla also thank you very much for keeping this show going and of course our producer annabelle stealth thank you so much everybody if you'd like to become an executive producer for the next show, if you donate $20 or more, whether it's a super sticker, super chat, if it is a cash app, dollar sign, midnight radio, 101, $20 or over, that makes you an executive producer. That's saying, hey, you appreciate the time, the effort that goes into this show, and everybody around you want to keep it going. That's what that means. And all the me- all the monies go to our radio license, which some of you that listen to it and wonder what's going on, we're almost finished with the whole nightmare of the report so just know that let's get into the show now let's get into the show the first thing i want to talk about is i have uh idaho for information that you want to talk about that i want to talk about that we want to talk about this portion of the show is brought to you by our merch shop at midnightrad.io where you can get a lovely coffee cup such is this except nicer than this or a hat not like this but nicer than this first let's talk about idaho four i got a video from your girl who's your girl who's your girl laura who's your girl that's right banfield you're damn right banfield is your girl here we go as you've learned something exclusively today about the home behind you. We've, we've been you know, back and forth on the plans for what's gonna happen. The neighbors don't want that house to be standing anymore. The families of the victims don't want it to be torn down. And the university said something, what happened? They did. Today, we confirmed with the university that they still do plan to demolish the house behind me where the murders happened here in Moscow uh, sometime this summer. That's significant because just last night we were reporting that we had the feeling that the house was going to stay for now because they've got this uh, little hut behind me. They've got a more permanent security guard who's out here. The families have asked... Uh, for it to stay up in case the jury wants to tour it when there's eventually a trial, if there's eventually a trial. So we were under the impression like this this house was going to stay for a while. Maybe that's why it was boarded up. But no, uh, the university today saying the plan is still uh, to tear it down sometime this they summer. They must have so all soon. the evidence they need. Wow, and they had just said to you um, recently that... The plan was that if there was some discrepancy and they, you know, the families couldn't come to terms with the uh, uh, prosecutor and the defense in this case, that ultimately the judge would make a decision. But since there's a gag order, we don't know if that happened. Bum, we really bum, don't bum, know, bum. you know, what what happened she or why like that, that gag summer. Order. 
demolish, uh, demolition plan might still be on. Brian Anton, great reporting. Thank you so much for this today. Fantastic job, Brian. Couldn't be better. You know what? Um, how many of you guys feel like this? And uh, this is no joke. Whenever I watch this following, man, Cuomo, I feel I feel dirty. I feel like I've done something wrong. I don't. I'm I'm serious. I'm not breaking joking. News in the Idaho investigation involving Brian Koberger, the suspect. I feel like I'm doing wrong. I actually watched a little bit of his show live the other day, and it still felt dirty. In the murders of four Idaho college students. And not in a good way. The question way. is, is there more? We talked about that possibility. Authorities investigating his role in other murders and maybe in other states. Today, we put some meat on the bones of that. There's uh -oh. a grand jury impaneled in Pennsylvania, not Idaho, okay? And his parents have been subpoenaed to testify. Subpoenaed. Former FBI agent and News Nation Law and Order contributor Jennifer Coffendaffer and News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton uh, join. Brian, let me start Brian is uh, everywhere. with you. Uh, what do we know? Well, we're building off of your exclusive reporting, Chris. Uh, oh, you reported man. that um, Koberger was being looked into in other uh, murders. Kissing other that butt, Brian. Uh, we now have confirmation that Brian Koberger's parents uh, are testifying in front of a grand jury in Pennsylvania, and that it has something to do uh, with uh, a case there involving a missing woman uh, that went missing last year. Um, and, uh, and it is an investigative grand jury. Which All right, so there's a reason I'm playing this. For those of you that didn't know, Oh, my God. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it so much. Uh, Sterling, awesome. Okay, now there's a reason why I'm playing this, and here's what I want you to pay attention to. First of all, this might be new information from you that Brian Kohlberger's parents were called uh, for a grand jury testimony about a murder of a woman, all right? Not that there's any information that she actually that he actually, Brian, had anything to do with the murder or not. We don't know that. But the interesting part, the reason why I played this is because I wanted you to see the end part that Coffendaffer throws out at the end. And I think it's very interesting. I don't know if it's true. I'm leaning towards thinking it, it, it is, or I want to believe it is, or... It's just such an interesting piece of information. I want you guys to check this out. And uh, once we get, you're not going to miss it. I'm not going to let you miss it. Uh, yeah, check this out, man. This is uh, something new. We heard, I think I heard about it once before. Which I heard you emphasize, which is important uh, because it's not a grand jury where they're looking into one specific person, uh, but they are looking into the situation as a whole. We have also learned through a source close to the case, Chris, um, that, uh, that there is a strong alibi reportedly that uh, that Brian Koberger has in this situation. Okay, appreciate you, brother. Chime in if you want to. Coffendaffer, help me. Uh, I'm confused uh, by this situation, and I'll, I'll tell you quickly why, and you can correct uh, anything that I have wrong or, or explain uh, the confusion. One, if he's got an alibi, I don't understand why you're putting the parents in front of the grand jury. Uh, and... Uh, if you are the parents, uh, supposedly they were making legal moves to quash the subpoena. They didn't want to do this. If you have information about an alibi about your kid and a connection to a bad act, let alone a felony that you know could be a murder, why wouldn't you want to go in? Uh, I don't understand this. I also don't understand the use of an investigative grand jury because usually they're looking at a panoply of uh, potential different investigations. In a panoply. Not just one. What's your take on this? 
Well, a couple of things. First of all, exactly uh, nail on the head for help both of the first two. Help me cough and Help me cough and If they have a nailed down alibi, again, that's source information. But if it's nailed down, why are you calling on the parents? Why do you need them to say, yeah, we waved goodbye and gave him a hug and he got in a car and left? That should be proved through digital information that would be retrieved from his cell phone. And there should also be where he was staying there that was separated from where this uh, not missing person but actually murder took place. Remember, the body was just recently recovered. And that's why there would be an investigative grand jury convened right now to look at all the facts surrounding that. Now, I also... All right, stop the press, everybody. Mr. Affidavit is in the house. Why would you split them up if that's true, that uh, the parents aren't testifying together? Now, depending on the state, you can have different rules. Uh, you guys know this, but for you at home. Uh, but in general, you know, witnesses in a grand jury uh, are not held uh, to secrecy. So if you split them up like that, that means they can talk to other people about their testimony. They could it's coming up now. Let me just look. Odd. Uh, now, Jennifer, you reminded us of something that has become um, much more seconds. instructive now than when we were uh, originally playing with it back in January. Uh, tell the audience uh, what you fleshed out in terms of searches that you found online uh, and why now that we know they're looking at him for other things uh, become especially relevant. Right. If you look on Google, there's particular searches that you can do to see what queries are made. So if you go into Brian Koberger suspect or Brian Koberger wanted for a period of years going even be beyond 2018, before 2018 and well before these murders, well before he was arrested. It's amazing. You see all these queries for those. Well, who would conduct those queries? But I would contend. All right. So let's check this out. She's saying that Brian Kohlberger being Brian Kohlberger's suspect, which is, you know, not an everyday average name. Before 2018. So let's go check that out right now. All right. B-R-Y-A-N. Kohlberger, suspect. Ah. All right, let's check this out, everybody. All right. Here's why Idaho murder suspect may have chosen Solomon in court. I don't care about that. The problem is I looked for it on a non-Google site. All right, here we go. So we're going to see if this is true. Oh, all right, here we go. Idaho murders web sleuth claims Brian Kohlberger trending on Google before arrest as police tracked him. This is January 3rd, 2023. Like I said, this is old and we've gone over this before. I I remember this. I remember this. A Reddit user, so it has to be true. Surely, surely that she wasn't just, you know, Coffin uh, Deffer wasn't just saying something. Brian Culper was trending in Google Trends in the last 30 days, but shockingly, the search also attained 
a peak between December 12th to December 18th. The user claimed that the police did not search days before arresting the suspect. I decided to look at the Google search trends for someone searching Brian Kohlberger. I looked at searches from the state of Idaho for the past 30 days. There is an increase in searches for him starting in 1217 and peaking in 1218. This could have been when Ellie Cotter identified BK. The user further added FBI folks may be behind a proxy or not physically located in Idaho, so they would be excluded, excluded from this query. However, I'd imagine local only may not be tech savvy and may have been Googling him from Idaho networks. All right, let's bring this up. Two thousand twenty two. The police interviewed more than 300 people. So, but when this came out, they didn't have anything about being him being uh, checked out before 2018. Don't you think that the user would have looked at that? Here's a data dashboard from Google. All right. Um, so this is Brian Kohlberger search term. Let's change it out. Let's go to Brian Kohlberger suspect. All right. S-U-S-P-E-C-T. All right, let's look at that. And we're going to go past uh, from 2004 to present. So July 2005, Brian Kohlberger's suspect, there was 34. How old was he then? A little kid? Brian Kohlberger, suspect, June 2004, there were 43. All right. Brian Kohlberger, suspect, 28 from 2004. April 2005, 34 searches. Brian Kohlberger, suspect, July 2005, 34 that year. 2006, there were 22 searches when he was a a young, how, how old was he? So he is 20, what, nine now? And so he was, you know, not even a teenager yet. Tw- March 2008, 19. Brian Kohlberger, suspect 19. Brian Kohlberger. All right, do, do you see where I'm going at here? And look. And the interest by where they looked, you know. You guys seen all this? It's not showing on Rumble. Oh, my gosh. We got a broadcast going there. If it's not up on Rumble now, it'll be up there later. So, bullshit. Again, what Jennifer Coffin-Naffer is saying is bullshit. Apparently, there's other Brian Kohlbergers out there. Let's see, like there's other Jerry Adams out there, like there's other Gerald Schmemans out there. There's some other hot hot ham radios out there probably too who Google their own names through the decades. So for them to act like that's why they're looking for him, that is a big, nice, warm glass of bullshit just because she wants to have something to say on TV. Kind of makes you go, hmm. 
If I need an expert that doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about, I'm going to be sure to call Jennifer Kaffendoffer. Let's just say. All right, let's move right along here. Moving on along, moving on along. Let's see. Um, Google searches. 2021 Google searches for Brian Colberger. Oh. All right, this is a lady here that I'm sure you want to listen to. This is, hell, what's her name? Nancy Grace. She's got something to say, y'all. She's got something to say. It's actually pretty good. I'm sorry, guys. Pardon my language. This isn't a show for children. Passing yourself off as an expert on something you're clearly not. Making a living as an expert on something you're clearly not bothers me. If you have the qualifications for it, it's one thing. You know what? These news programs going around like they're an authority, like they're actual media, like it's not manipulated and not controlled. Now, I'll give it to Cuomo. If you look at his show, it's actually pretty well balanced. And I think I think uh, Ashley Banfield does a good show of actually getting some information for us, which is going to change. Maybe. I don't know. But... Um, Acting like you're talking to an expert and just interviewing somebody who comes from a talent agency basically is not cool. And there's more from Brian Koberger. Oh, my gosh. Tell me. The quadruple murder charges. You know what? She looks pretty good in this lighting. As you know, Brian Koberger charged in the slaying of four beautiful university students. There is Kelly Gonsalves, Zana Kernodal, Ethan Chapin, and Madison Mogan. All murdered, we think, in their sleep, either dozing off or about to go to bed. Now, we learn that... Holy hell, how many of you... Well, that's a... Oh. Hello. Okay, how many of you guys are listening to this with earphones on man she has a hell of a she, they're leaving the air conditioner on i'm hearing them in the background i don't know just little things like that i noticed because i got these on that Koberger's parents his mother She's like, oh hell no y'all you're not turning that air off when i'm on i get hot y'all mother and father have been called to testify i don't get hot i give hot in front of a secret grand jury proceeding that is happening right now, not in Idaho where the murders occurred, but all the way across the country, 2,000-plus miles away in Pennsylvania, in Monroe County, Pennsylvania. Monroe County is the same location where Koberger's parents lived and the same county where the body of... A new woman, Dana Smithers, was found. Now, why would Koberger's mother and father be forced by subpoena to a secret grand jury proceeding regarding the murder, the death of Dana Smithers that was not related to Brian Koberger? Remember, a grand jury has two functions. One is investigative. They could be investigating the death of Dana Smithers. Her body was found decomposed 
many months, about a year after she went missing on May 28. They may be investigating and bringing in the parents of Koberger to establish his alibi, for all we know. We also know that the parents valiantly tried to quash the subpoena, the grand jury subpoena. But in our country, in our jurisprudence body of law, there is no parent-child privilege like the attorney-client privilege. You can't call your someone's lawyer to the stand and force them to divulge what the client... Hey, guys. I want to give you some valid, very, very good legal advice right here. If you ever get called in front, in front of a jury or anything, if you ever get called and, you know, if you get subpoenaed, if they smack you with a subpoena, there's two things you, the only two things you, you, you have to say, it'll be over fast. Say two excuses for everything. I don't know. Or I forgot. There you go client said to them or a priest parishioner you can't force a priest to divulge what the congregant has said not just a priest it could be a spiritual counselor i believe in uh the oj simpson trial simpson tried to claim rosie greer the football player was his spiritual counselor sydney you better check that out uh, but as i recall that was certainly stretching the definition of priest prisoner privilege so parents and children do not have that same privilege and it was first reported largely largely hugely bigly lawyers always knew about it when monica Lewinsky's mother i believe her name was smart guys i'm gonna have to speed this up because man she talked slow i thought i talked slow from texas man She's on a she's on a, a low speed tirade here. I'm gonna have to help this lady. Plus, it'll probably help me from getting a content strike anyway. All right, now this will be normal normal speech. Marsha was forced in front of the grand jury to testify, and she certainly did not want to. She cried, she sobbed, she snotted, she tried to squash the subpoena. No, she had to testify. So even though Koberger's parents did not want to testify in front of the grand jury, they had to. Now let's talk about the real issue, not the testifying in front of the grand jury, but how in any way is Dana Smithers' death match up to or not the deaths of the four victims in idaho the victims whose names i just recited to you and keeping in mind that serial killers mo's modus operandi method of operation do not have to be identical with me right now a name you know well chris mcdonough director of the cold case foundation former do you guys notice or is it just me she likes explaining things that everybody knows you know things that anybody and everybody knows common knowledge things she like takes extra time to explain you know like the word like i don't know Homicide detectives investigated nearly 300 homicides, meaning more death scenes. Host of YouTube channel, The Interview. Homicides. She's, she just gave us a definition for homicides, meaning more deaths. Come on, Nancy. What the hell? Room. And you can find it at coldcasefoundation.org. Chris McDonough, for instance, Ted Bundy, prolific serial killer, over 30 dead bodies on his death toll, had multiple MOs, modus operandi. So did Israel Keys, another prolific serial killer. So these don't have to match up for Koberger to be responsible for both. You are 100% right, Nancy, but what we have to take a hard look at initially, right, in the initial phases here, as we consider potentially his involvement. Or, you know, Who's that, Chris here. McDonough? The first thing we have to measure Chris McDonough? The, what we would call, From know, the clan McDonough. What's her background? Uh, Dana Smithers. How's, yes, Dana Smithers. Right. Okay, well, and, I thought you would start with uh, mode of death, location, uh, because we got in the four students lay uh, death by sharp instrument um, 
a knife. Um, we have in a structure, we have, but we do have female victims in the same area in which he lived. And we know in this case, Monroe County, the same area where his parents lived. We don't know the cause of death yet because the body's so decomposed. But you're starting with victimology. Interesting to me that you would start there, but let's go with it. Dana Smithers, uh, 45 years old at the time of her disappearance, was a mother of three, an adult son, uh, another daughter, and a seven-year-old daughter that lived with her. She and her seven-year-old daughter lived with her, Dana Smithers' mother. Daughter, three of them lived together. She had a really good friend with whom she visited that night. Um, seemed to be in a happy split with her ex. In fact, they got to a festival together the day she disappeared. That night, she walks two, three houses down to visit best friend. Uh, is seen leaving on the Ring doorbell cam that evening around 11 p.m. with her cell phone, her cell phone, her car keys, and her meds were found at her home, even though she was missing. That's what I know. Okay, and so what now then what we do is we measure that against what's called the victim risk continuum, where you take the environment, situation, circumstance, and low, medium, or high risk activity in relationship to this victim. And you measure that based on where the victim was discovered, and in this case, she's approximately uh, just under a mile from her residence where her body is discovered. Wait, 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 wait. what's one mile from what? You mean the disposal of her body is down one mile from her home? Where her body's discovered. Right, okay, so, and I want to point something out about location. Just add this into your formula. Smithers last thing alive, living friend's home in Monroe County, the same county where Coburger lived with his parents. So they're both living with their parents, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, my first reaction yeah. would be, hey, let's look and see if they were communicating on social media the way we think Coburger was communicating with at least one of the female victims in Idaho. But again, you're on Dana. I'm fine with that. Go ahead. Okay, so we have information that her, car, her phone and her items that uh, one would think if you leave the house, uh, you are going to take with you. Uh, but in this incident, it sounds like that she left the house and left those items behind, specifically her phone. And so that shows a, a potential um, idea that there's comfort here. That she's leaving the house in a position or in a state of comfort. And now we take a <laughs> Hold on a second, guys. All right. How many of you women out there? And the phone line is 325-261-0892. Um, if you have a comment or question, let me go ahead and open that up. I'll open it up early. How about that? Um think all right how many of you women have left your house without your phone show of hands in the chat room it's ever i mean ever not normally like normally i never leave my phone how many of you have ever left your phone all right you can call now the phone lines are now open three two five two six one zero eight nine two how many women leave their house without their phone answer is it happens all the time it doesn't it's not an abnormal thing but it happens when why where and how well leave your house step out of your door i'll be right back i don't need my phone i'm just doing this real quick all right nancy what do you think about it what why are you saying a state of comfort how do i know she didn't go out to the trash and someone grabbed her Exactly. You're going to take out the trash or somebody grabs you or getting your mail or somebody grabs you. Maybe you're just going to go to the store real quick. I don't know if her vehicle is taken or not. Well, that's the point. She's going out to get the trash, which is a, which is a daily routine. Okay. So she wouldn't need her phone for that. So she's comfortable with doing that activity. Oh, I totally heard her nose whistle. We look at where she lived or the location of where her house is. Can I ask you another right question? On? Just, you know, sure. how no. often do you, after you go home, leave mm-hmm. your home to go outside at night? Just curious, on foot without your phone? Well, and that's a great question, if you're a man, you do you take it out the trash, right? I do it all the time. I'll tell you why. Because I always leave my iPad in my car every night. And I always think, oh, wow, when do I ever learn? And then I do it again the next night. And I have to leave. Everybody else is in bed. And I go out to the car. Hey, if ever, anybody wants to grab Nancy Grace, she told you her patterns. To get my iPad out. So, so let's, let's you know, play devil's advocate here for a second. Let's say the husband, the ex-husband who was with her that day, calls her up and says, hey, I forgot something. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll meet you outside and bring it up to you. And now he's got a car. 
and let's say hypothetically, you know, he's in the circle, and I guarantee you the cops have him in the circle. Are you taking the investigative circle, like the circle of potential suspects? Let's just call it what it is, circle of suspects. Yes. Well, of course they're going to look at the ex. That's who you look at first, okay. the boyfriend, the last boyfriend, the ex-husband, um, and then you move out from there. So I'm sure they've looked at him. And, but for some reason, they're still looking at Koberger. Well, and that could be because they're they're taking everybody out. Sounds like they've taken the husband out. I don't know that for sure. It sounds like they may be trying to take him out. So the question is, okay, what ties him, to your point earlier on, what ties him potentially to Dana Smithers? Is it the two IDs that are discovered at his house? Is Are one of her IDs one of those two? If so, that's a big deal. Okay? If not, okay, who are these other two? that we don't know about yet. That's really smart and of you. That's really smart of you to link back to items found in Koberger's family home pursuant to a search warrant after the Idaho murders when they arrested him when he came home for the holidays. Very smart because you're right. We never found out who those IDs that were confiscated relate to who made All them. right, I'm not going to play this whole thing because this is Nancy's show. It's not my show. It's very interesting, though. I'm going to have every video I play in the show notes. This is all the information that I have about Idaho 4 case. That's all the information I have for this week. What do you guys have? What am I hearing from the chat room? Not a whole lot. All right. Going ahead now to Gabby Petito. Phone number is open in case you guys want to call. And let me bring this over. Talking about Gabby Petito. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a chance to call here. Phone number 325-261-0892. It is not toll-free, but who cares anymore? 325-261-0892. The phone line is now open if you want to call. Or is it? Yeah, no, it's open. Talk about Brian Kohlberg. Do you have any more information that we haven't gone over? Somebody said, oh, I have a lot, LOL. Well, but I don't have specifics, so I won't call. Oh. All right, let's move on to Gabby Petito then. All right, where are we at here? All right. So... We've got an update now on the civil case between the parents of the late Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. A letter handed over to the attorney for Gabby's parents is one small victory as their civil case does move forward now. But among the motions heard in court this afternoon was whether a letter that Brian's mother wrote to him might be allowed in court. As Fox 13's Kimberly Quizon reports, the judge okayed it and Gabby's family hopes it will provide answers to many questions that remain. This letter, now in the hands of the Petito family lawyer, is what they've been waiting for. All right, so we have another case coming up that we're going to talk about, the Nashville shooter. And in that case, the judge says, hold on, I got a phone call. Midnight caller line, this is Jerry. Who am I speaking with? Okay, it's Hot Ham. Hello, Hot Ham. Do you have a Hot Ham Radio. Cole Berger information for us? Oh, well, I just thought it was interesting. You started playing the Brian Laundry news from this week. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like superstitious from this Idaho case, but it seems funny to me that this stuff came out this week about the parents and Koberger and, um, Oh, the grand jury and PA or whatever. Did you hear about that stuff? So 
Other than what I've said, no. Okay. Well, it, it, it was, it came out this week, a bunch of different news. I think it came out initially from CNN, um, that there was a grand jury. Yes. In Pennsylvania. Yeah. We talked and, about um, that. Right. Right. But I think it's interesting that this burn after reading the, the letter news was coming up again for the laundry case. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just saw like a weird parallel there with our like a media. <laughs> I just distrust the media so much these days. Have you read the burn after a reading letter? Yeah. Okay. It's wild. I think it's interesting that the judge is going to allow the burn after reading letter, even though the parents didn't want it shown. And the Nashville shooting letter, the Nashville shooter had a manifesto that the police wouldn't let out, and the parents are petitioning for that not to get let out, which tells mm-hmm. me they apparently know what the hell it says, which, I mean, yeah, is a leak of information yeah. for them to have that, right? But uh, So they're allowed to get it, but it's not allowed to go out for everybody to see, which would be the First Amendment, the, the uh, freedom of the press. So you're telling me somebody has the right to limit the freedom of the press if their children were murdered? Yeah, apparently they um, have more of a right <laughs> if their children are murdered. They have the, because, the right well, also, to go against the Constitution. A, because this letter right. from her his mother, that was ruled that that right. would be allowed. And I mean, I don't know if that's because it's a civil case. Like, not a murder case. I don't. I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me either, though. I don't know. I'm just seeing a lot of like. Uh, I'm feeling like there's a lot of doubt. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's nowhere. I don't know where to look anymore for any kind of reality, like any kind of real news. It's hard to find. Or you've come to the right Back. place. That's what I think. No, I know. I know. That's why I like being here. <laughs> I only I only like participate in a few channels there you go. Um, on YouTube, but that's because it's I'm like desperate. For... <laughs> I'm, de- I'm desperate. I'm here. Because... No, no, no. Oh, that's a totally, no, that's, that's a good you. shirt. Midnight radio. I'm here because I'm desperate. We were looking, we were, I'm going to write that down. We were looking for something that's just for our channel. You know, they said, so somebody said in the chat. In case you're desperate. Yeah. I'm here because I'm, I'm desperate. No, got, not here. Not here. It's like on YouTube in general because I'm desperate. But no, I'm so, but then I get these wonderful. Shirt. Miraculous gifts of finding creators you know, in channels like midnight radio. So that's what I meant. We have a lot of news stories today that are, some of them are well, really I'll get bad. Off the phone. It gets increasingly, increasingly <laughs> darker just to warn everybody here. So we'll let yeah, everybody and that's know that real news. It goes, it goes hey, down everybody. after the petito case. It's downhill from there. It, it tends to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll let you go. I don't want to delay any of the. Thank you for calling horror. because I thought that I might have missed something that I hadn't got. You know, did you catch no. the part well, about a ton of stuff. 
Jennifer coughing after <laughs> what she said about the Google, the Brian Kohlberger suspect being Googled. Yeah. And I just looked it up <laughs> live time in 2004. It was Googled 35 times. Well, that's, yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. He, everybody Googles themselves. Like anybody, and, and it doesn't, we don't even know what somebody, it could have been like, a different Brian like Kohlberger is what it looks like for me. Brian Kohlberger suspect. Right, it could have been. A, in 2004. But also, but also there are like bots. Like when I started my website, which actually is my real name, years ago for my business, I found out, this was like during the 2016 elections, like there were Google searches for my name by like, I don't even know if they were bots. I don't know what they were. So I'm just saying, like, we don't, that's not any kind of evidence of anything. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I don't know. I disagree with you. I disagree. If if I look what back, well, check this out. I look back and I guess I can show everybody if I have it up here. Yeah, check this out. Um, I looked in live time and this is what I got. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not looking at the screen. That's I, fine. I'm, I can't look. This, this is like a theater of the mind. So 2005, Brian Kohlberger <laughs> suspect. 2005, 30, it was searched for Brian Kohlberger suspect 34 times. Now, according to Koffendaffer, and it, and it goes on and, and on. Actually, there's a droppage in it after 2009. So uh-huh. if, according to her, if... If it was like 2020 or 2018 and it had been searched for uh-huh. and not before that, I would think, oh, well, maybe he did something. He is searching for himself. Just well, yeah. This guy who we don't know who the hell these people are that look for this. I totally agree. So, That's what I mean. I'm just saying it's a drunk driver guy or whatever. So, why did why did they say why did they cut it off at 2018? Serial <laughs> flasher so or something. Now, here's creepy. You want you want to go even creepier than that if you look here and i'm looking to who was searching and it says mm-hmm. interest by metro which is metropolitan area you know i'm gonna do like a nancy grace and describe everything so idaho falls is 100 people searching idaho boise idaho is 56 spokane washington 21 wait what for yes. brian cooper uh-huh when these are in that areas well, it's, when when was that? When was it? It was between yeah. 04 and 2021. Okay, that's insane. Now this that, is from that's that area, why I though. Have doubt. Like I don't understand. How old was he in 04? About what? Seven or eight years old? Nine years old? I mean, I think he was born in what ninety four ninety. Are, are you God, guys, can you see soul. this? Look, uh, Spokane, Washington, 21, uh, Idaho, Boise, 56, and uh, Idaho is uh, 100. Um, so this is in that area. I mean, there isn't a Brian Kohlberger in Texas looking for himself, and I'm looking on Google's. Trip. That's weird. Well, that makes me wonder. I have some questions about old Google. <laughs> Google McDougal. I don't know what they're doing sometimes, like how the Google Analytics works. Huh. That's weird. Somebody's asking, what does it show if you put Brian Kohlberger in parentheses? Wait, what? 
Somebody said, what does it show if you put Brian Kohlberger in parenthesis? That means... Oh, in, in quotation marks. Yeah, I, quote, I said parenthesis. Actually, they said parenthesis. Yeah. Yeah. Let's check it. All right. Let's look. Dun, dun, dun. Ho! A jump oh, up yeah. in 2022. Has anybody tried that? I just did. Oh, yeah. Still creepy. So now we have, what, 2023, Brian, 100 times. Huh? And what's before that for in quotations? All right. Before that, it has... 100 in Spokane, Washington, Boise, Idaho, 79, Twin Falls, Idaho, 66, Idaho Falls, 33, Brian Kohlberger, it's about the same. Wait a minute. Like that's before the murders? Yeah. The unaligned? You know, I put Brian um, Kohlberger suspect, it probably was just hitting on his wait, name. Wait, wait, is there anything, if you put it in quotations, is there anything in Pennsylvania? Oh, uh, like no, no, these are all Idaho, Idaho, Washington, Spokane, Washington. And if I click on that, what does it show me? It shows me 12 I on just, one day. So I clicked on, uh-huh. I clicked on Spokane, Washington, and it showed me, it shows me, uh, Troy, where is this? Washington. Spirit Lake, Newman Lake, Deer Park, and Moscow, 29. No, this is Idaho, not Washington. Wait, when was this? Between 2004 and, when, and 2001. What? It's showing me the actual city. Wait, you mean, tw- you mean 2021? Yeah, 2021 and 2004. What? Okay, that doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. Interesting. Hundred people yeah, searched in Troy. What was he doing? Hmm. I don't know. I could go either way on this case. I don't know what the hell's going on. We have so, <laughs> so much weird information. It doesn't mean a damn thing. <laughs> not yeah. from not from this yeah. Google searching. Uh, it's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. Yeah. What does yeah. it mean? I don't know. We don't have enough information to know with. The limited information we have. No. No. But the information we find on our own with this case is always really weird and just strange in conjunction with the information we hear from the media and the police. <laughs> so it's just this is crazy. a wild case. It is very crazy and there's a well, lot of questions. I will let you go back to the show. All right. I'll go back to the crazy stuff now. Yay. Happy Friday, everybody. Thank you for calling. All right. Where was I? Oh, we're talking about Gabby Petito, and I was playing the video. Four. It's a victory. Civil case between the parents of the late Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. A letter handed over to the attorney for Gabby's parents is one small victory as their civil case does move forward now. But among the motions heard in court this afternoon was whether a letter that Brian's mother wrote to him might be allowed in court. As Fox 13's Kimberly Quizon reports, the judge okayed it and Gabby's family hopes it will provide answers to many questions that remain. This letter, now in the hands of the Petito family lawyer, is what they've been waiting for. It's a victory. We're, we're happy to have it. We've fought hard to get it. We've been fighting for over a year to get that letter. It's been named the burn after reading letter. 
The letter written by Brian Laundrie's mom, Roberta, referenced bringing a shovel to help bury a body, and the Petito family lawyer says it's key to their civil case. In my mind, that clearly shows that, that she knew that Gabby Petito was deceased, and it's up to the jury to decide when that letter was written. Just because Mrs. Ber uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Laundrie says it was written before the trip doesn't mean it was written before the trip. Chris and Roberta Laundrie's attorney tried to have it withheld from the jury for next spring's trial. The letter doesn't reference Gabby in any way, um, which would, one hell would of be a unlikely suit, guys. if it was written after what happened between Gabby and Brian. Um, so that's our position, uh, and we believe the uh, facts will eventually bear that out. Matthew Lucas says the letter references children's books and a book Gabby had given Brian called really? Burn After Reading in reference to writing down personal thoughts and then burning them. Taken out of context could... Um, be inflammatory, but they appear in a, a series of sort of fanciful descriptions of how how much somebody would love somebody else. While the Petito family will never get their daughter back, they say this is one step in helping them discover the truth. There are still many questions that the Petito family has about what the Laundry family knew, what they did with the knowledge that they knew, and really why they didn't come forward and say anything. In Sarasota County, Kimberly Quizon, Fox 13 News. Thank you, Kimberly. Back to Jerry in the studio now. Uh, there we go. That's better. All right, let's check out this article. Brian Laundrie's mother has broken her silence to Fox News after her highly anticipated burn after reading letter revealed she promised her late son a shovel and garbage bags. I don't remember seeing that part in the letter that I read, to be honest. Florida woman, through attorney, claims the missive was pinned before her son embarked on the 2021 cross-country trip with his 22-year-old fiance Gabby Petito. Her 23-year-old beau then returned to his mother's house in Northport, Florida, and was declared a person of interest before his remains were found on October 21st in a nearby reserve. I just want you to remember I will always love you, and I know you will always love me. You are my boy. Nothing can make me stop loving you. Nothing can or ever will divide us no matter what we do or where we go or what we say. We will always love each other. If you're in jail, I will bake a cake and put a file in it. If you need to dispose of a body, I will show up with a shovel and garbage bags. Oh, my. She said, if you fly to the moon, I will be, the, I will be watching the skies for your reentry. If you say you hate my guts, I'll get new guts. Remember that love is a verb, not a noun. It's not a thing. It's not words. It's, it is action. Watch people's actions to know if they love you, not their words. Roberta Laundry then appears to quote Romans 8, 3, 8 from the Bible to end the letter. Therefore, I'm certain that neither death nor life nor angels nor the ruling spirits nor things present nor things to come nor powers from above nor powers from below. Nothing in the entire created world can separate our love, neither hostile powers nor messengers or heaven nor monarchs of earth. Nothing has the power to separate us. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and show you the full letter right here. Right, y'all. All right, so here it is. I don't remember. 
Brian Laundry burn after reading. I guess he had other things on his mind. And here it is. It does say I will bake a cake with a file in it. If you need to dispose of a body, I will bring slash show up with a shovel and a bag. If you fly to the moon, I will be there watching the skies for your reentry. It sounds like if that was a poem or something. There it is. That's what it looks like. Burn after reading undependable little bastard didn't burn it what's the state run now what do you think do you believe his mother mrs laundry that this was just quoting some poem and she this was before the murders and this was from a book that brian gave or a book that gabby gave brian said burn after reading i don't know I don't believe it. So, so, so tragic. Turning it back to Coffin Daffer, she has this to say about the missive. I think it is really safe to say that Brian Laundrie's parents have not had a lot of good days in the last year and a half since their son took his own life in the park not far from their house. That was after he had taken the life of his girlfriend, Gabby Petito. And it was after everybody was frantic, trying to find out where Gabby was. I don't think the Laundries have had a lot of good days because they also became uh, persona non grata pretty much everywhere, reviled across the country for having kept secrets uh, after Brian Laundrie returned home with Gabby's van, but with no Gabby. And then just wouldn't say a word at all to anybody, including Gabby's parents, as to where she was. Just nothing to see here. They have not had a lot of good days. And then came the lawsuit. Another bad day, right? You got slapped with a lawsuit. Gabby Petito's parents have said, the emotional hell that you have put us through, well, that deserves some civil action. So then they had to deal with that lawsuit. And then another bad day today, because there was something being fought over, a piece of evidence in that lawsuit. This is it. It is a letter that Roberta Laundrie, Brian's mom, wrote to Brian Christopher Laundrie. And you can see what it says below. It says, burn after reading. Well, that doesn't sound suspicious at all, does it? Today, a judge determined that Gabby's parents may use that letter in their civil suit against the laundries. Took a three-hour hearing in Sarasota. Mrs. Laundry, uh, she had a few things to say about it. I'll tell you that in a moment. But um, here's what uh, the letter says. A little harder to read it like that, but it uh, in part says, if you're in jail, I will bake a cake with a file in it. If you need to dispose of a body, I will show up with a shovel and a garbage bags. Keep in mind, Mr. and Mrs. Laundry are not charged with anything. But the civil suit certainly does allege that they helped their son evade capture and caused immeasurable harm. Uh, trial set for May of next year. And I am so happy to 
Welcome to the program, Pat Riley. He is the attorney for Gabby Petito's parents, Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt. Pat, thanks so much for, for being uh, with me today. How big of a victory is this to be able to use that letter, the burn after reading letter in the civil suit? Good evening, Ashley. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's a very important piece of the building blocks of circumstantial evidence that we have that demonstrate uh, that the laundries uh, knew that Brian had killed Gabby, that they uh, passed that on information on to Attorney Bertolino, and then Attorney Bertolino issued that statement on September 14th of 2021 in which he stated that they hoped, the family hoped that Gabby would be uh, reunited with her family. So it's a it's a big piece of evidence. The, uh, the the document is very damning, in my opinion, to uh, Roberta Laundry. It's a, a very uh, odd letter that she wrote. It is. Here's what she um, has said in response. She said, I truly love my son. I simply wanted to convey to him how much he meant to me and how much I loved him. I am sure people use phrases all the time to express to their loved ones the depths of their love. Although I chose words that I thought would be impactful with Brian, given our relationship, the letter was in no way related to Gabby. Do we know the date of the letter? Do we know the timing of the letter? Because that certainly would be significant. It, it would be, but it's undated. So, no, we don't know when the letter was written. Of course, Roberta Laundry says it was written before Brian and Gabby went on the trip. Um, I, I don't know if she knew that Brian was going to commit a crime and could possibly go to jail and she'd need to help bury a body. Um, but it, it's just as likely that this was written uh, when you read it in context and read it in its entirety. It's entirely likely that this was written after Gabby was murdered. Is there something in particular that, that the letter says that makes you think that? Well, the letter starts out as a, and, and says, um, I just want you to remember I will always love you and I know you will always love me. That's not how I imagine a letter would start out if a mother was simply writing to express her love, especially when you throw in the language of bringing a shovel and a garbage bag to bury the body. Um, that's not Very suspect. How, that's not like any letter I've ever written to any of my children, nor did I receive a letter like that from my mother at any point in my life. Thank you for watching. Go to News Thank you, Ashley Banfield, everybody. Ashley Banfield, everybody. All right, so we're going to continue to cover. This is, the, of course, the civil case against Brian Launder's parents and Gabby Petito's parents, since they're both expired now, thanks to him. And how he had that chicken shit letter that he put out saying, I had to do it. I was helping her by taking her life. And uh, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go into our next stories here. That's kind of creepy, Ashley. Just saying. Just saying, Ashley. Right, I'm going to go to our next stories here. I want to give everybody a warning. These next stories I'm going to cover are disturbing. And they're not for all viewers. All right. I'm not talking about them because i like them i'm talking about them because they they are disturbing i think everybody has the right to know and the right to be scared as hell about what kind of world you really live in what goes on right next door to you all right things aren't rosy things aren't sweet i'm not saying not have a don't have a good disposition i would like to have nothing more than uplifting content but 
be smart. Know what's really out there. One way to get that is actually getting some real information. So that is why I play what I play. And that's why I share with you what I share with you. And that's why I look at myself at these things. Check this out. There is um, a Texas teen charged with killing his parents and his two siblings. He claims they were cannibals. All right, this is from yesterday. He was arrested on murder charges, accused of grisly, a grisly slaughter of his parents and his two siblings, including a five-year-old brother because he believed they were all cannibals trying to eat him. His name was Caesar, is 18 years old, was arrested after a standoff with cops Tuesday in Texarkana and charged with capital murder of multiple people, punishable by death here in Texas, or life without parole. Police in the town of Nash, the population about 3,800, went to his home after getting a report that a man had harmed his family and was threatening to kill himself. When they arrived, they learned the teen was holed up and family members were inside. According to an affidavit by Nash police officer Craig Buster, the teen, while barricaded inside, had called police saying he had pulled the trigger and shot his family. After... The police persuaded him to end his standoff and surrender. They went inside the home and found the bodies of his parents, his sister, his mother, his five-year-old brother, all in the bathroom. It appeared as if the victims had been shot in various places in the residence and had been dragged to the bathroom. Multiple spent cartridges were found throughout the home, and there's blood splatter on multiple surfaces. There's a picture of him right there. His older sister looks like she just graduated. This is Texas A&M. The affidavit said that Joseph Fielder, a colleague of Lisbeth, his mother, had gone to the house because she had missed work that day. He would knocked on the door but got no response. Fielder, together with a family member who also had to check on the family, forced his way inside where he was confronted by Caesar. The teen allegedly pointed a gun at the man several times and brandished a knife. Fielder told responding police officers that Caesar said he had killed his family because they were cannibals and they were going to eat him. They were cannibals and they were going to eat him. He was ordered jailed on a $10 million bond. A neighbor described the family as a beautiful family, extremely nice, hardworking people. The daughter recently graduated from college and was planning to become a teacher. And this Caesar was a good kid. He was going to get into an apprenticeship program and become a plumber. Elizabeth's fiance, fellow Texas A&M University, Texarkana graduate, Jeremiah Reynolds on Wednesday posted a heartbreaking message on his Facebook page declaring, I love you to infinity and beyond my love. Cannibals. Can you believe these things going on? Next story. And I'm going to go over two aspects of the same story right here. So this is a story taking place. A seven-year-old set a massive fire as his parents slept child charged all right this was the first part of the story and i received the second part of the story later i'm going to go ahead and go over this part first 
A seven-year-old started a massive fire at his house while his parents were asleep inside. Now, the child accused of intentionally setting this destructive blaze is charged with arson. Volunteer firefighters responded at 11 a.m. to a burning home near the town. All right. At the scene, flames and smoke, and uh, though two people suffered minor burns, uh, deputies said everyone made it out of the house alive. The seven-year-old was taken into custody and faced a first-degree arson charge. All right. And I wanted to put this play this first part to you because I, I want you to know how the same story can be uh, put out there. The same story can be put out by the news media and be completely changed just by the way it's reported. All right, the thing that took place doesn't change in any way, but the way it's reported does. Check out the second story about the same thing that went on from a different news network i got video with this one first let's look at the video first a twist to the story of a seven-year-old boy charged with arson accused of setting his home on fire with family members still inside today that boy's stepfather arrested charged with child abuse news channel 3's andrew colgrove has the details the boy's father, Aaron Hufford, was arraigned at the Jackson County Courthouse in Ripley on a misdemeanor charge of child abuse, creating risk of injury. The victim is the boy the sheriff's department says started the fire at their home on Providence Road in Sandyville around 11 Wednesday morning. This is video from Wednesday night of that destroyed home in northern Jackson County. The criminal complaint says investigators have video showing Hufford hitting his stepson on the rear multiple times and picking him up forcefully under the arms and removing him from a room. The complaint also says detectives interviewed Hufford late Wednesday night and he identified himself in the video and described what happened as excessive. Investigators say based on the stepfather's admission, it's reasonable to believe there was potential for bodily harm to be done to the child. I interviewed Hufford Wednesday night before his arrest. In light of this development, we are not going to be sharing much of what he had to say. We're just going to stand here and search your face. No word yet on where that stepson could end up, but the stepfather told us he was being kept at a hospital in Charleston for now. All right. So I guess he was beating the kid outside of the house as it was burning down. He's accused of abusing the seven-year-old accused of arson now my question is this a seven-year-old a kid that burns down their house and this is um this is something i studied one time for an article i was writing about about children that commit murder and they murder their parents in this way and they don't have a view of the consequences they can't they don't think about the consequences that are going to happen they just feel trapped and they think that committing an arson or shootings takes care of the problem that they have at the time they don't see past that as a lot and even a lot of adult criminals don't either especially if there's substance abuse involved if this stepfather was abusing this kid i can see him burning the house if he was being you know sexually assaulted i can see that as a reason 
for the child to burn the house. I think there's more to this information, but I don't think that we are going to get it. A lot of times it will just stop being investigated and they don't talk about it anymore. Talking about child abuse, this is uh, this was brought to me by one of our community members here, and it's one of the worst cases I've ever heard of. We're going to go over it right here because I've never heard of anything like this before. It's not sexual in nature, thank the Lord, but it is even more disturbing than the worst of sexual abuse I've ever heard in my life. So be warned. Hello, Thank you for being with me today. You know, we have a lot of press conferences. Some of them have levity. Some of them are very serious. And then there are some that are tragic and horrifically sad. And that's what this one is about today. Sheriff Grady, everybody. I'm about to release information to you that probably before I get halfway through this press conference... You will be thinking, why in the world is he saying these horrible things? Well, you need to know. You need to know in the real world, when people don't do what's right, really, really, really bad things happen. So we're going to tell you what this child experienced at the hands of their parents because the parents didn't do the right thing. I want to introduce you to the parents, to Keisha Williams, who's 24, and Ephraim Allen, Jr., who's 25. Here's when it all began. In July of 2020, when this beautiful baby boy was only 10 months old, if you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it... He suffered a near-drowning experience at a short-term rental in the northeast area of the county. A near-drowning. He toddled off into the pool. There was life-saving efforts to try to save this baby's life. When they got him to the hospital at the conclusion of all of their valiant efforts, the child had no brain activity could not even blink his eyes, cannot move his extremities, and quite frankly, it was recommended to the parents that he be removed from any life-saving measures because the child would forever be in a coma with no brain activity. They didn't want to do that. So ultimately, these parents were sent home with their infant on a ventilator, a permanent ventilator, with a stomach tube. And health care, home health care, three times a week. Now that went on for over two years. As of last October, the parents began to reject the home health care. Despite the health care company's best efforts, they would not be home, would not answer the door. So the last time home health care dealt with this child was in October of last year. Understand all of this was occurring at absolutely no cost to the parents. In fact, the mother was receiving benefits to stay home and take care 
of this baby. So let's fast forward to Friday, May the 12th. There's a 911 call to the city of Bartow, to the Azalea Apartments, where they live, where the mother said, you know, the child's pulsometer is not working correctly. This is really not an emergency. You don't need red lights and sirens, but we'd like fire to come over and check the baby. So they responded to the house in a normal, routine fashion. And when they arrived, they saw this child hooked up to a ventilator. And this ventilator was working appropriately, but there appeared to be no life in the child. This child had an extremely extended stomach, and it was green. This child was rotting in the bed. They rushed this baby to the hospital, where for over an hour or about an hour, between EMS, fire services, and medical personnel, they tried to save this baby's life. At the hospital, when they started taking off the diapers and the clothes, they noticed ulcers, large gaping wounds through the body down into the muscle. They noticed there was no rectum. There was just a big gaping hole where the intestines and the spinal column was visible. They notified the Bartow Police Department, who immediately said, hey, we need the sheriff's office to assist us. This is a very complex investigation. So our homicide team responded. We noticed immediately the child smelled of decomposition. We went back to the house where the child laid lifeless as it had for two years and smelled decomposition in the room. The medical doctor at the emergency room said this child has not had the appropriate care for months. The medical examiner at the autopsy said the child had sepsis, bilateral pneumonia, stage five ulcers, obvious not child neglect. So we talked to the parents and we go, what is going on here? They said, well, they didn't want DCF to take their children so they didn't call. But they had tried, they had tried to get more home health care. So we introduced ourselves to the potential health care providers and they said, "Uh uh-uh, we accepted them. We went there and wanted to see the child. They said, don't wake the child up today. This is just an introduction. And the next time they went, nobody answered the door. So obviously they were trying to create a facade or to say, well, we asked for help. They let this baby rot and die in its bed. I've done this for five decades. I have seen thousands of children abused, hundreds of children murdered at the hands of parents. 
I have never seen the horror that we saw with this poor child at the hands of these two folks. I talked to all the detectives in the room. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life? No one has. You can't even imagine how horrible the wounds, the ulcers that this child endured at the hands of these folks. They're charged with aggravated manslaughter, among other charges, at this time. They were locked up in the county jail with a bond of $100,000. The state attorney's office actually filed direct once we got the initial medical examiner's report. The state attorney's office, Brian Haas, our state attorney, who is simply the very best, is game on every day. And I'm certain if you talk to him, he would be as mortified as we all are that this baby was left in this condition. My job is to protect children, to protect everyone. But my heart is with protecting the very youngest because, you see, they have no choice of where they live or what they eat. All right, I'm going to end it right there. You can check out the full press conference. Check out the full press conference. I'll put a I'll put a link up to all the things that we're going over after the show, so you guys can check that out. I checked with with a with Rumble. We're not streaming live on Rumble right there. I don't think, at least not on our main page. So I'll check out that later. But I do know that a video will come up on there after this initial live stream is over. Have you guys heard about the family feud killer? Yeah. Who the hell watches family feud? I know you're shocked. Survey says. Like how you guys tricked me there. A family feud contestant who joked on national TV. He regretted getting married is now on trial. Accused of fatally shooting his estranged wife earlier this year. Timothy. 39 is charged two counts of first-degree murder, one count of home invasion in connection to the slaying of his ex-wife, his estranged wife, in Quincy, Illinois. The defendant was arrested on March 13th in connection with the 41-year-old woman's death. The victim's father, William, told jurors this weekend he found his daughter dead on her bathroom floor on February 23rd after she failed to pick up her three kids from school. Court records show that at the time of his estranged wife's death, the couple was in the process of divorce. The victim, a nurse and mother of three, also filed for an order of protection from her husband in 2021. A hearing in the divorce has been set a week before she was found shot 14 times amid what prosecutors labeled a contentious divorce. Prior to her killing, prosecutor Josh Jones said the victim bought a gun and told family members she was scared for what he might do to her. On Tuesday, Sarah Riley, a sister of the victim, told, took the stand on behalf of the prosecution. She testified her sister previously told her she was worried her estranged husband might physically harm her. 
something ever happens to me, make sure the number one person of interest is Tim. Is what she texted her sister. I am putting this in writing that I'm fearful he will somehow harm me. According to prosecutors, he also conducted a number of internet searches prior to his estranged wife's killing, including instructions on how to use a crowbar to open a window, how to make a homemade silencer, and local police response times. A lawyer defending him argued that evidence is not strong enough to convict the man. The trial began on Monday, and it is scheduled to go through till Friday, although we do not have an update to that one. But what I do have is I have another Banfield video right here, and we're going to, I want to play this for you because this goes to the McPherson the pedophile McPherson murders that happened and uh, Ashley Banfield getting mad about it. So check this out. The deception is just starting to make me sick, right? Yesterday, Brian, it was the the, the prison uh, chapel was used for this guy's marriage. The, the chaplain of the prison conducted the marriage and the uh, sheriff's um, assistant was the witness to a sex offender's marriage to a woman with three kids. And you tried to get a hold of this chaplain. What happened? We did. Uh, We wanted to talk to the chaplain. I had called him yesterday and left him a voicemail, didn't get a response. You mentioned it. I mean, no one wants to talk when it comes to this case. No one. Uh, But I thought maybe since it's a chaplain... Uh, he, he would he would, uh, you know, open up to us, share something, let us know why he performed the, the wedding ceremony, what he knew about Jesse McFadden and Holly. Uh, take a look. We went to his house. He actually lives about an hour from here uh, in Tulsa um, and uh, went to the door. Uh, they were watering the lawn there. There was clearly someone home, uh, knocked on the door, trying to talk to chaplain uh, Kenneth Farnham. Uh, but but no one came to the door, Ashley. Um, and I also did get a text from him that just said no comment period uh and that was it so apparently we are not going to be hearing from the chaplain well maybe not this way but he better answer someone as to why he legally uh married a sex offender to a woman so new news i had no idea that they actually got married in the prison holy crap this this is uh new information here with three teenagers and didn't sort of red flag that uh, and, and let it happen at the prison chapel. And then there's that witness, the sheriff's administrative assistant, who also is in charge of registering sex offenders. That's what she's supposed to be doing for a living. That's what her LinkedIn says. So her son is a sheriff's deputy. He made the only on-site compliance check for Jesse McFadden. What did the sheriff's department say about all this when you went to knocking? Well, first of all, we've been trying to talk to the sheriff's department for quite some time. Uh, I have been, your team has been. Yesterday, we were trying to get to the bottom of what was going on with the sheriff's assistant who, you know, is in charge of the sex offenders. And also, her signature is also on the marriage license. Really just, I mean, is there something we're missing here? Just wanting to understand it. Uh, so I went to the sheriff's office today. I mean, we called and called and called and called. This was sort of a last result. Um, and this is what happened. How much? Uh, 
What? Uh, I can give you a card if you want. That'd be great. Is it? Oh, it's open under here. Yeah, it's open. Thank you. Yeah, we've been. Out there? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Nothing happened. So we basically sat out uh, in the waiting room and waited. Uh, a, a man came out and and wasn't happy that the camera was there. Said that they weren't going to be commenting. I had given them my business card, uh, and he essentially uh, just gave the business card back to me. Brian, the business card never works. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Didn't even accept your business card. Yeah. No. Didn't. I mean, I still got the card. Didn't, Smack didn't take in the, the card. face. Well, that's something. Okay. You know what I would um, do again, if I was going I somewhere, Brian, expect- Brian? Brian. 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 Listen to me, Brian. If I was going somewhere like you and you know i had the camera crew behind me and i'm trying to get an interview and i got a press pass by the way well here's what i would do brian i would just go up there and they're like here hey this this is this is i'd just bring my coffee this is me right there all right i want to talk to the damn chaplain all right either you talk to me or i'm gonna go on television tonight i'm gonna talk about you I, I guess bet not. law enforcement is going to you know, work with us when there's a horrible, out. disgusting, foul crime. But when they have been screwing up, I think they have some answers that we deserve as citizens. And that community deserves answers as to why. So answers we deserve as citizens. That is almost one of the one of the themes tonight. Do you guys feel like we deserve and do you guys feel like it's our constitutional right to know what that manifesto from the Nashville shooting is. We're going to talk about that coming up. I want to know what you think about that. Do we have the right to that information? It's not saying that, oh, there's people that are going to completely be converted to whatever the cause of the murder is going to be if they get this information. It's not saying that, for God's sakes, Ted Kaczynski's uh, writings are still available, you know, and a lot worse. Hell, the Zodiac Killer letters, and I could go on and on. What do you guys think about that? Phone number 325-261-0892. If you want to talk about it, I'm here to talk to you. That's what the show's about, a conversation with you, and we're continuing right here. But right now we're having a conversation with our girl, Ashley Banfield. All that evidence was left behind after the sheriff's department just cleared out. Nothing to see here. And by the way, if uh, if you want it, go ahead, take it home, was what one of the victim's family members was told. Just despicable. Okay, one last question. Raymond Paget, the landlord, all this new information that he wasn't legally allowed to rent that property, that he was so callous to these family members. Get your things and get out of here, right? These are family members who lost their children to a rape and murder of a sex offender in a... All right, so I hear... I, uh, somebody in the comments said, let me put it up so you can read it. Jerry, you're hundred percent right for a seasoned journalist. He quit way too easy. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. He does more. So, you know, you know, he, he shows, you know, that he's not going to be kicked around. Mass murder, suicide. Watch what he does coming up. It justifies logic that anyone would treat anybody else like that. But you had actually asked that question of Ivy Webster's. Um, father and grandmother, Ivy Webster being one of the sleepover girls who was murdered. And, and they, they had something to say about that, didn't they? Brian Inton looks like a Muppet. Yeah, they did. This is something that they have been questioning and concerned about since the very beginning. Something to them 
did not make sense with this landlord situation. Um, how Jesse McFadden ended up here, how is he was able to rent the place. So when the paperwork emerged showing that the uh, that the farm behind me, that the house behind me was in a receivership and that it was not allowed to be legally rented, um, they they couldn't. They, well, they, they sort of could believe it because something didn't feel right. But at the same time, they couldn't believe it. They they have questions. How was he here? Why was he here? Who was he paying? If there was no lease, how did all of this happen? Uh, this is what they told me. Well, it just seems like it may have been like sort of a backdoor deal rental. Well, yeah. that's clearly what it is if he's not supposed to be renting out that property. Yeah. Exactly. I wonder if there's even a lease or anything. I, from what, from my understanding is there wasn't. There it was, was a backdoor caretakers. deal. And they were caretakers of the property. And... What I'm confused about is if he's not supposed to be renting out those properties, where is the connection that brought Jesse to that house? If he can't list it as a rental, how did Jesse get in contact with the property owner to be able to know he could lease that house from the property owner? Thank you for watching. Go to newsnationnow.com to find... All right. Indeed. So how did he know? It's obviously he knew this guy from his prison, from uh, his prison friends. Hey, I know this guy will do it. He's on hard times right now. That's completely what it was. I mean, come on now. 14-year-old girl arrested for orchestrated and attempted shooting. The only reason why it didn't happen is because a gun jammed. Check this out. Remember this? Breaking this is this is really bizarre. Yeah, very. A third teenager appeared in front of a judge today charged in that attempted school bus murder. You can see it all going down in this video here. And the details are just really upsetting. These three boys appeared wearing masks and hoodies pulled over their heads. They got into a school bus in Oxon Hill. They pushed right on by the driver, went up to a middle schooler, put the gun to his chest and pulled the trigger three times. Thankfully, nothing happened because the gun jammed. The teenage girl who was in court today, however, was not in these photos. But prosecutors say that doesn't mean she isn't just as guilty. And wait until you hear what's next. Scott Broom was in the courtroom today. He joins us now live. And Scott, you really got the sense from prosecutors today just how young um, these teens were potentially and how dangerous this could have been. Yes, uh, generally here, the majority of the kids involved are eighth graders. And this is very, very dangerous. Now, normally, hearings involving juveniles are not open to the public, but in this shocking case of attempted murder by children... The young teens are charged as adults. So with this surprise arrest over the weekend of a girl we were all completely unaware of, there is yet another hearing today that was open to the public. And what we're learning, again, is chilling. It was a hit squad style attack on a Prince George's County school bus caught on video. A boy with a gun tries to shoot and kill a 14-year-old while two accomplices hold the victim down. Had the gun not jammed repeatedly, the victim would surely have died, investigators have said in court. And today in a Prince George's County courtroom, we learned the attack was allegedly orchestrated by an 8th grade girl who's accused of texting the attackers before they rushed the bus to let them know the victim was seated and the last rider left. All right, I'm going to stop it right here. You guys check this out and put the link to this in the show notes. I told you we're going to talk about the Nashville shooter because there's more information that's coming out about this now. Check this out. A judge has ruled... 
that in the case of shall the um, should the Nashville shooters' writings be allowed to public, that the parents can have a say. A group of about a hundred families will now have the chance to argue in court against releasing the writings of the assailant who killed six people at a Christian school. After journalists, a gun rights organization, lawmakers sued to force the release of hundreds of pages of journals and writings left by the shooter, the parents of three nine-year-olds killed on behalf of the victims and nearly all their surviving classmates as well as the school and adjoining church had asked in a hearing on Monday to join the case and argue against their publication. The judge said in court that he acknowledged that the parents stand in a unique position stepping into the shoes of their minor children. And because those children are the victims of a crime currently under investigation by the police, the judge found that the parents had a right to intervene on their behalf. The decision does not resolve the far more complicated question of whether and how to publish the writings of a mass shooter. And officials must still grapple with balancing constitutional rights, the public's desire for answers on motive, and fears for inspiring yet another act of devastating violence. But the judge's order allows those most directly affected by the shooting an opportunity to make their case in court as victims and survivors. It came on the final day of school for Covenant School students who gathered on Wednesday with parents, staff, and Nashville police for chapel service. I'm going to put a full link to this in the show notes. Now, according to the sources... Only a handful of officials, including Nashville city lawyers and FBI employees, have reviewed the writings. Chancellor Miles, who has also examined the troves of writings, set a hearing schedule for lawyers to continue wrestling over the release of the documents. So the lawyers have seen it. Whether or not what they told, that doesn't mean they haven't talked to the family members, you know, told them what, what was in there. Uh, lawyers normally do do that. They just don't talk about what they've shared. All right. All right. So this came to me today. I'd, I'd never heard of this. This is actually horrifying. The story right here. Can you, okay. You guys can see this. This was horrifying. Um, Let's see. Trigger warning. Get another trigger warning up there. This has almost triggered me when I read it. I never heard about this. This is horrible. Now, a sadistic female killer who abducted girl 13 with husband, then Ard, an injected victim with Drano before killing her, could be paroled next week. Just 24 years. Now, this is from last week. Updating the story today. She was not paroled. This is a, this happened in uh, the early 1982 in Alabama. Now officials are set to consider parole for a woman known as the the Lady Sundown Killer, who was convicted of abducting, torturing, and murdering a 13 year old girl alongside her husband in '82. She she appeared before the the uh, Alabama Board of Pardons and Parole on May 25th. It was yesterday. 
marking her second chance at parole since her death sentence was commuted to life in prison in 1999 because it was ruled unconstitutional. All right. Hold on a second, guys. I'll be right back. All right, I'm right back. So, I'm back now. Her first parole hearing is in 2018. So, the interesting things about this, she's 58 now. And this happened in 1982. So, how old would that have made her? Like 16 years old when this took place? She she just had two children at the time. She had two children at the time. Uh, They were twins and she had a baby on the way when they committed this crime and what was the crime they committed that got her in jail in prison here's a picture of them it's horrible all right so alvin and julian judith neely are seen in an undated photo the couple abducted tortured and murdered two female victims all while they had two-year-old twins at home so this is what they did and before the parole happened so they committed a crime in alabama and they did it again to a different lady in georgia she had already pled guilty for both crimes right but she was serving life in uh, alabama so the governor of alabama said that if she is released in parole that they're going to pick her right back up and they're going to take her to Georgia to serve life. She wasn't taken out. And they were urging protest letters against this, but you're thinking, okay, well, maybe the husband was more involved in this than her. Now, the husband, he got life in prison also. He died in 2005. So let me read to you what they actually did. And because somebody there do math for me in the chat room. So she's 58 now. We're in 2023. 1982 is when they committed this crime, which is horrible. I'm about to tell you about it. How old was she at the time? So the sickening saga of Judith and Alan Neely's crimes date back to September 25th, 1982, when the married couple abducted young Lisa Ann Machillan from Riverbend Mall in Rome, Georgia. At the time of the crime, the Neely couple had two-year-old twins and Judith was pregnant with her third child. Midnight caller line. This is Jerry. Who am I speaking with? Jerry, you're speaking to John. Hey, John, what can I do for you? 
Well, I was just wondering if you got my 20 the other day. I've been in chat, but uh, nobody's seeing me or nothing, you know. Oh, and, J- uh, JB. I you, yeah, I sent you 20 on your last show, and I never heard nothing, you know. So I said, man, I wonder if he got it, you know. I didn't and, get it. Uh, I, I didn't, didn't get I just, it. Uh-oh. Well, they got it. They took it off my uh, thing, you know. Did they really? They took it off my, uh, yeah. No, I got the list here, and I don't have you on it. What yeah, are, and are, I see it on my last, uh, on your last show, you know, uh-huh. and I, I put something about I don't believe in the FBI, nothing like that. You know, mm-hmm. I can screenshot it and send it to you. Do that. Let me, but, uh, let me figure out what's going on. You're not in. Yeah, you're, yeah. I, I, I I appreciate it, you know, because <laughs> I mean, I thought, man, let me send Jerry something. I ain't sending nothing in a good while. I've been promising and shit, you know, and I, you know, and then, you know, I got out of hacking in my email and stuff. And, uh, well, hopefully, <laughs> and, and there they go, you know, and I said, man, I, I think Jerry would have said, Hey man, thanks. Or something, yeah, I said something. Now I did get your email when you were asking me about it. I read it right before it came on the air and I'm like, well, I didn't email you back. So I'm oh, like, I, okay. I, I, I did get your email. I'm like, I don't know what to tell him because I didn't get yeah. anything. Yeah, you I know? sent you one. I sent you one, and I said I was just wondering if you got the money. I yeah. sent you got know? my list right here, and you're not on it. So yeah, yeah, I was wondering. I haven't I'll seen. Haven't seen you in a while. Well, yeah, I'll send you a screenshot of it in your chat, uh-huh. and uh, you know, since I got, since I can send you the email, and uh, yeah, get get your money, man, because. You know, I probably won't be able to get it anyway. No. I'll see if I can uh, figure out what's going on here. Okay. Are you, well, show, I, are you I, showing up you, on other places on YouTube? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah. But every now and then I got to reset my plate uh, uh, store, you know. Okay. Uh, because they freeze the screen sometimes and mm-hmm. they do stuff like that, you know. All right. Uh, well, thanks for calling. Yeah. yeah. If, 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 matter of fact, that's a good thing. This is JB, guys. He's here all the time. If anybody, if you guys are watching and you're having the same problem as him, let us know about it. We can see what's going on on our end. Yeah, I've been in your chat, man. Does anybody see me? Does anybody see me? And, you know, I must not not be in the chat. This man's been here talking to himself in the chat room for months. How many people are you guys guys out (laughs) having the problem? Let us know. We can fix it. All right. I appreciate you calling in. Let me know. Thank you. All right, thanks, Jared, because I enjoy your stuff, man. I mean, you know, you put out some good stuff, you know. I'll email you back Uh, if we figure out what's going on. Okay, thanks a lot. And if you get the money, just tell me, you know, because it's yours, you know. Uh, You know, it's not mine, you know. And uh, I'm sorry. I'll send you that screenshot and stuff and the screenshots of me in chat just now. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, if you guys are having trouble in chat and you're like, why can't anybody see me anymore? What's going on? Let us know. Uh, we can fix it. So, again, this is a picture of Judy uh, Judith Ann Neely, and this is from 1984 when she was in a you know prison in Alabama. There she is. Here's her later when she's on death row in 84 before her sentence got commuted. Here's the... This is a letter from the governor, I believe, that said that if she was let out, he was going to get her again. All right, so let's let's talk about what they did. This is horrible. 
I want you guys to know what's out there. I want you to keep yourself safe, keep your kids safe. Uh, if there's any teenagers that watch this, you have no idea about how evil the world is. If you're if you're run if you're thinking about running away, you have no idea how dangerous it truly is out there. I have some of those stories coming out in the future. There's a bunch of people just looking for teenage runaways. You don't want to be the one. According, uh, let's see, the Neelys drove third. 13 year old this is after they got her hold on did i miss that part did i read this to you all right they abduct her from a mall in georgia all right they drove 13 year old lisa to a motel room in franklin georgia where she was arred and made to sleep naked on the floor the following this is a 13 year old by the way the by a 16-year-old and her husband, the following day after picking up their own, uh, actually, that this is a misprint right here. The married killers took Lisa to the Five Points Inn in Scottsboro, Alabama, where Alvin art her repeatedly over the course of two days, and Judith beat her and kept her handcuffed in the bathroom, planning to kill the girl and dispose of her body. The couple took Lisa to Little River Canyon in Fort Payne, where Judith injected the girl six times with drain cleaner. Frustrated that the poison did not kill the teen quick enough, Judith then shot the girl in the back and pushed her body into the canyon. After the brutal murder, the Neelys drove to nearby Gad... Gads didn't enjoy breakfast. Less than a month later, the murder spree continued in Rome, Georgia, when the Neelys abducted 23-year-old Janice Chapman after shooting and injuring her fiancé, John Hancock, in early October of 82. Janice was also taken to a hotel, tortured, essayed, before the Neelys murdered her and dumped her body. The murders were solved when the Neelys were arrested on a bad check charge in Tennessee, and authorities connected Judith to a phone threats against a juvenile detention center in Rome, where she once served time. By chance, Hancock, Hancock, the surviving victim, was being interviewed about Janice's abduction when he happened to hear recordings of the phone threats and identified the voice as a woman, who had shot him and abducted Janice. Alvin eventually led investigators to Janice's body and pled guilty to the murder and aggravated assault in Georgia. Only Judith was tried in Alabama for Lisa's murder. She was found guilty there and sentenced to death by execution and pleaded guilty in Georgia for a life sentence. Judith was just 18 at the time of the murder. In case she was 18. So 40 years later, Wow, making her the youngest woman in U.S. history to be sentenced to death. In 1999, when she was days away from execution, days away, Alabama Governor Fob James commuted her death sentence to life behind bars. In 2003, Alabama law to bar her from parole eligibility was ruled unconstitutional, and that's why we're at where we were yesterday about people not wanting her to be paroled. It took one minute. It took one minute Hold on a second. I'm missing a story here, y'all. A very important story. Because I see it right here. All right, it took one minute for them to deny her parole. Okay, guys, remember we reported this yesterday. Uh, 
reported this yesterday. Remember, I did not read this anywhere else, I promise. Um, it was just from my experience with uh, Spycraft in Washington, D.C. When I told you that this is not, uh, we're talking about Bill Gates and how he slept with a Russian bridge-playing woman who interviewed him and how Jeffrey Epstein was involved. I told you, guys, this isn't just some bridge player. This is a Russian spy. Well, guess what? As of today, this brand-new article about her being a Russian spy. All right, let's check it out. And her connection to other infamous Russian spies. And the title of this, this is from Daily Mail. World exclusive, my ass, we talked about this two days ago, revealed Bill Gates' younger Russian lover and her links to notorious Kremlin spy, Anna Chapman. Two women stride across a New York street, barely breaking step to flash smiles at a camera. One of them is slightly out of focus, but her face and the face of her friend is unmistakable, chillingly so. The strawberry blonde on the right is Russian bridge player Mila Antonova. The woman alleged this week to have been the former lover of billionaire Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, as well as an associate and financial beneficiary of the late financier and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Flippin' Epstein. What makes this photograph sensational, however, is the presence of the flame-haired woman on the left. She is none other than the notorious Moscow spy Anna Chapman. Boom, boom, boom. No shit, Sherlock. I cannot believe it. This is Bill Gates. This is her in the spy slash model. Anna Chapman. There's another pick of old Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein. Maybe they're just playing bridge, right? Hmm. A potentially disturbing link uncovered between Bill Gates's alleged lover slash Russian bridge player Mila Antonova and Russian spy Anna Chapman. This comes after a spokeswoman admitted that Jeffrey Epstein had tried unsuccessfully to leverage Gates's affair when he was still married to his wife Melinda to threaten into doing his bidding. It's still not known whether the 67-year-old Microsoft boss had any knowledge of a potential link between Antonova and Chapman, who was arrested by the FBI in June 2010 after her deep cover was blown. If Epstein knew about the alleged affair and later made sure Gates knew, knew, did he also know of... And it ends right there very abruptly, but we don't care about that because where it is, I'm telling you, is with this... Uh, This week, a world-exclusive investigation by Daily Mail has uncovered a potential disturbing and unexplained link between Gates' erstwhile Russian lover and Kremlin spook Chapman. While there is no evidence of any wrongdoing on Antonova's part, yeah, I'm sure all the money she got for her education, where she was paid to be a, a coder and work for big American companies, I'm sure that's all legit. I'm sure she gave the whole Russian spy thing you know, I'm sure she, you know, stopped doing that right now. Bullshit. Let's read the rest of this. It seems to be a connection with Rage's serious questions for Gates and, of course, for the California-based Russian herself. Despite, and you know what? Nothing's, just so you know where this is going to go, you're going to hear about this and you're not going to hear anything else about it. Guaranteed. Despite repeated approaches this week, it is still not known whether the 67-year-old Microsoft boss had any 
knowledge of potential link between Antonova and Chapman, daughter of a former KGB officer. I'm pretty sure he didn't. However, Gates spokesperson admitted that pedophile Epstein, who was known to cultivate friendships with the ultra-wealthy in order to exploit them, had tried unsuccessfully to leverage past relationships to threaten the business magnate into doing his bidding. So Gates is a victim. At the time of his brief relationship with Antonova, who's nearly 30 years his junior, father of three, Gates was still married to his former wife, uh, what was her name, Melinda, and registered sex offender Epstein, wanted Gates to be an anchored donor in a multi-billion dollar global charitable fund. He planned to start up to camouflage his sordid private life and increase his influence. The pair had a more, more than a half a dozen meetings and Gates once flew on Epstein's private jet known as Lolita Express. He has since said he regrets, remed- he regrets meeting with the disgraced billionaire fin- financier who apparently killed himself in jail in 2019 while awaiting trial for uh, sex trafficking charges. Now, Gates' spokesman has insisted any meetings were solely ph- philanthropic, philanthropic, and uh, let's see where we're going with this. Now, this is the Russian spy, Anna Chapman. She's also a model. She likes to wear tight pants just for fun. There's his ex-wife. There's him kissing some cards. There's her walking down the path. There's him smiling together. There's him smiling with her. There he is. He's in a sandwich of pedophiles. All right. But there's more about the the uh, spy connection right here. Chapman, now 41, was among a ring of Russian spies who all carried out long-term deep cover assignments across the U- U.S. No shit. Like I was telling you about the dance instructors in Washington, D.C. Russia, you didn't think we know? Aha. Uh-huh. We know. The FBI finally swooped on her and other Russians, SR, SVR, formerly KGB intelligence, agents in 2010. After this photograph was taken in Manhattan, it captures a smug-looking Chapman gesturing with her hand towards the former Art Deco office block. Stone throws away from Wall Street, where she kept a luxury apartment. Her arrest came less than a year after the then 53-year-old Gates had first met Antonova. In the somewhat unlikely setting of the North American Bridge Club. Now, let me tell you how deep this goes, everybody. Uh, again, we're streaming on our website, midnightrad.io. So if they take me off here, you'll know. So here's what these Russian spies do. Not only do they try to compromise rich people, uh, with influence and the reason why they do that is because t- to get the information you that that you, that they need for a, a country to progress you know to get secrets that a different country would need you don't need to go to a rich person or influential person that's not why they do it it's not like bill gates knows half of that damn stuff's going on in this country but the reason why they do it is Rich people don't talk about it. So those Russian dance instructors, they would compromise the family members, the 
wives in that case, of the senators who are working. So when it becomes known, and it will become known, they're all expecting to get caught. Then those dirty-ass senators that are elected, you know, who kiss your ass and tell you what you want to hear, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, they bury it and you never know about it. You know now. And uh, I can't tell you how many times they're actually, what do you call it? Uh, What is the word I'm looking for? Where they have to pay money to these Russian agents so information doesn't get out. They have to do that a lot, and uh, they don't talk about it. And Epstein, I don't know who the hell he was an agent, but if you're taking money, hush money for something, then you're an agent of one of the alphabets, CIA or uh, NSA or the KGB or the SVA or whatever the hell CVS they want to call themselves now. So, yeah, there's more going on here. And you're looking at some money move from a corporation. So Bill Gates uses his philanthropic organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Fund. He uses that to move money around to make things happen that he wants to happen with Microsoft and his other professional interests. He has a lot of money uh, invested in different things. So if he takes money and invests it in one, then this other company that he has money invested in will prosper. And he can do all that under the guise of a charity. So he can use it all as a write-off, you know, he can do it all as a write-off. So we're talking about an intense amount of money here. And he's, this man's protected. None of this is going to come out ever. And all, everything that you're hearing are just blatant outside rumors. So yeah, there you go. Now, it's not exactly known when the alleged affair between Gates and Antonova began, but in August 2009, just a few weeks after the Washington tournament held at the Marriott Wardman Park Hotel, she appeared to be in a happy frame of mind when she tweeted that she was going to bed and very excited about the future. All right. Now, you guys know the rest of this. It's talking about a speech and her name drops. All right, so I'm going to put the whole link to this story. The whole link, not half the link, the whole link. I'm going to put this in the show notes so you guys can check that out. All right, now for this part of the show, I have a lot of food stories, so check this out. Now a woman is facing charges for breaking into a restaurant and using up $500 worth of food just to make a salad. This happened in Rome on Saturday. Police say Callie Thwaite broke into the Harvest Moon Cafe and made that salad. They say she touched all the food with her bare hands, spoiling it oh all. Oh, my. And here's a commercial for your viewing pleasure. You can get a tablet and apply It can be dangerously cost. easy to steal your identity. Oh, you don't say. All right, so the story right here. A woman was arrested after being accused of breaking into a restaurant over the weekend to make a damn salad. Damn, she must have been hungry. Officer said she touched several food items with her bare hands, rendering those ingredients 
no good. Officials said the total value of the food items was 500 big ones, everybody, $500. Authorities did not specify what ingredients she put in her salad. She was charged with theft by taking. I wonder if she tweeted and that's how they found her. Now, this is just a little little snippet before we get to another food item. Coming up, a Texas woman calls 911 after killing husband with a hammer over divorce papers. A lot of these Texas stories come to me. Texas is almost the new Florida or Germany. And this happened on Wednesday. My Tran, that's her name, I swear, My Tran, 42, called 911 after she told dispatchers that she killed her husband. This happened in Arlington. Officers responded and they found her outside sitting down. They found her, they found him inside a bedroom in the apartment with a hammer found near his corpse. He was pronounced dead at the scene. After being taken into custody, Tran reportedly confessed to investigators via a detective fluent in Vietnamese who served as her interpreter that she hit her husband with a hammer around six to seven times right in the kisser. Tran reported waving her rise after the detective said the Miranda warning to her. She said she was fully aware and takes responsibility for her actions. Not only that, but she said that her husband called her to his home to sign divorce papers at around 4 a.m. She left the apartment to get a hammer from her car. She claimed that she, before she killed him, she stopped and debated with herself and talked herself into doing it. Detective Spencer Simmons noted in the arrest affidavit that Tran was angry at her husband due to their relationship status. So there you go. Now, this is interesting to me. Now, this is something I've always thought. Somebody asked me um, about flying. I think it, I think I was talking to some, one of you guys. And I said, I, I don't fly. I don't fly. I don't do it. And I'm not afraid of flying at all. I'm, I'm, I don't like the bullshit you have to go through at the airport. It's bullshit, and I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to give my money to a corporation that would put me through those things, want me to be there. First, got to be there 15 minutes. I'm going to be there 45 minutes. I'm going to be there an hour. Then you got to be there two hours. Why? So they can x-ray your nuts. All right? So you got one guy, one guy put a bomb in his underwear tries to catch his man pebbles on fire to blow up a plane and is unsuccessful i might add the the passengers beat his ass all right he was unsuccessful and then all the all the uh damn uh airplane uh companies airliners are like okay well you know what we need we need full-body x-ray machines that we can have right here, and we need a new agency, TSA, and we're going to, oh, well, hell, a month later, oh, we happen to have a warehouse full of these bitches. Lucky us, something like this happened. So you're going to want, you want to inconvenience me so you can lie, saying that you want the public to feel safe because one jackass did something one time. You're afraid somebody might be a terrorist, 
you big dumb bastard, when all it would take is one son of a bitch to sit near the exit aisle and open the damn door. And I know that the exit door is always available to open because it has to be for an emergency measure. And that was tested today. In South Korea, a man opened the door. And here it is, exclusively on Midnight Radio. Yes, he opened it during flight. This was directly from Twitter, so you know it had to be true. They're awful calm about it. All right, I want to show you one more thing. I'm going to stop the video. All right, right here, you can see green outside. See that? It shows you that they are not, see, you can see a horizon line. Maybe it could be a tree line. It could be grass, but you can tell that they're not very high. Uh, Lucky them. So you get sucked out of the airplane. They say if it's too high, you can't get sucked out if you have your seatbelt on. This guy looked like he had a seatbelt on. That's why we had an airplane in the thumbnail. Yeah, I got to show you this guy. Let me check it out. Let me read it. Let me give you the whole story here. A passenger on Asiana Airlines flight in South Korea opened the door of the plane during flight, claiming that he was overwhelmed. The passenger was arrested. Now, here's some of the comments from one of my favorite things, some of these stories. Even at low altitudes, the pressure inside the cabin is far lower. A meager two pounds per square inch, the difference is still more than what can be accomplished by anyone. Hence, the doors cannot be opened unless the aeroplane is on the ground. It's not true. I was curious how this was possible. I've been told forever now that you can't open the door, but apparently that means only at high altitude. Yes, it can be opened at any time. I was told this by a pilot. If you're a pilot, you can call in right now. The phone number is right up there, 325-261-0892, or you can email me, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. And I just misspelled something. I said, hello, elect crack. I did not mean to do that. All right. So uh, our next story here is a little bit lighter. And I want to know how many of you people would eat this. It's more about food, right? All right. Here we go. Let me see. I want you to get a big old view of this. No, not that commercial again. Um, a Raymond shop. Wants to know it's offering, wants to know it's offering noodles served with his stream ingredient. Wants you to know it's offering hooked down phonics. All right, come on, commercial. You're, oh, okay. That's not an unrelated video, you bastards. A ramen shop wants to know it's, uh, if you would eat this damn thing it's having up. 
is this dream ingredient a giant 14-legged deep sea creature related to wood lice or in texas we call them roly-polies hello look at this bad boy Woo! he's staring at you i saw him winking at you hello please don't eat me Oh, Raymond Shop in Taiwan. I said Jap- Japan. Damn me. Damn, I have to fix that. Raymond Shop in Taiwan is offering a giant isopod as part of its new signature Raymond dish. Damn it, I would have ate that. How many of you guys would eat that? Well, let me show you what it looks like first. The 14-legged Great King-Legged Worst name of it. The Great King-Legged Worm. I have a problem eating anything with the name worm, and it tastes like lobster and crab. A restaurant Raymond boy says, I guess he scraped it together and had some. The Raymond goes for around 45, or, I'm sorry, it went up, $48 per bowl. I would try it. It's a big bowl, $48 per bowl, and it's served with shell and antenna. Uh-huh. A deep sea isopod called the Great King Tiger Worm is now the centerpiece of a new dish at a Raymond shop in Taipei. The giant 14-legged creature found at depths of 550 feet in the Atlantic, I got a I got a video I'm about to play for you of them alive and in action. Is the storm's the store's dream ingredient? Raymond Boy assured customers that the crustacean tastes just like lobster and crab meat. When steamed, and that is yellow glands tastes like crab roe. What does crab roe mean? Crab roe. I don't know what that means. That might be a crab's butthole. I mean, is, what does crab roe mean? Is boiled in chicken soup and served with squid and bonito flakes. The king-legged worm Raymond costs around $40 a bowl. Diners will receive their ramen top with its shell and its antenna. All right. Unblock the post. This is what it looks like, y'all. 20, 20 pictures. Can you see it? It didn't mean a piece of its shell. It meant his whole damn shell. Why is this blocked? Why are you blocking me? What kind of bull crap is this? I want to see. Ha 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 ha. I want to see. You want to see. Look at that. 48 bucks. Hello. Electra. Grant. Hot ham radio. Laura. Would an Irish person eat something like this? Got a big nasty sucker. I want to see what the meat looks like. 22 pictures here. Hey, they give you sauce to dip it in. It looks like some of the meat is... Oh, there's the meat right there. Mm, oh, there's the... There's the the row. Would you eat this? Would you look at this? Delicious. 48 bucks. And you're not paying for the food. You'd be renting it because it's going to be going out. Mm. The prep process. You know you want to look at it. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Oh, my. They have a lot of pictures of it. 22 pictures. I'm going to show I'm going to show all of them to you. Wait till you see what this eats. I'm going to show you. Uh-huh. I'm feeling a little nauseous. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm about to get sick. All that in your noodles. Would you eat this? Which I wish you would look at this. Would you? I would eat it. 
I would eat it with chopsticks. I would eat it. Why not? $48. All right, that's it, guys. Woo. All right. Check this out. So, you didn't think I was going to stop there, did you? This is a recent uh, scientific study they were doing to see what the hell these things eat. And why don't they have, there's no, um, damn it, amphibians, you know, uh, what, lizards type creatures. Man, my brain's not working right now, y'all. I need some more coffee, I'm telling you that are in this certain part of the ocean, they wondered why, and they found out that the isopods were eating them. This is an alligator sitting on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico right now over one mile deep. It's being eaten by giant deep-sea isopods. Studying this alligator is helping us learn more about the invertebrates of ancient oceans and how carbon from land makes it into the deep ocean. The alligators in this state were donated to science by the state of Louisiana. They were humanely euthanized as part of an intense management program that has helped the American alligator bounce back from nearly going extinct. Man, this is a long video. We're not Most of the this. earth is covered by oceans so deep that no... They're eating a freaking alligator. Check it out. Good lord. Huh. Oh. What time is it? Oh, the show's over. Oh, my goodness. Are we out of time? Oh, oh my God. Uh, 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 uh. I could, Dragonfly says I couldn't eat that even if it was delicious. I'm sure it's delicious for $48. Possum on the half shell. This will help me with my diet. Oh, man. I don't think we're supposed to eat those they're endangered, aren't they? I don't know. I don't think they are, actually. No! So the Irish would need that. I didn't think so. That thing is literally a David Lynch movie. I'm going next week to an awesome restaurant for lobster. I can't wait. I <laughs> Woo! Lobster's great, though. I'm not eating anything that looks at me like that. Electra would pass. Alligators are awesome. I do like alligator tail. I'd like to thank you for tuning in and watching Midnight Radio. If you haven't yet, please subscribe. For God's sakes, please subscribe and hit that like button. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for going over these stories with me yet again. Uh, if you if you were, I don't know, if, if you think you're blocked and you're just in the chat room by yourself, you think there's something wrong happening, reach out to us. Email us at midnightrad.io101 at gmail. Dot com. Let us know. We'll check it out, see what happened. Sometimes accidents happen. Guys, let us know. Phone number is 325 You can reach out and touch someone during the week if you want to touch my my um, voicemail, 325-261-0892, because when we're not live, that's where your message goes to. Thank you very much. If you'd like to become a producer on the show, it's any amount at all. Anything over $20 makes you an executive producer, and you get credit for it in the show. You can put that on your IMDb or anything else. We believe in value for value. I believe you guys are valuable. That's why I love doing this show. I like to get the input from you and talk to you about these issues that are going around in our world. And if you appreciate this show, then it 
it's just natural to want to contribute. And you don't have to do that with money. You can do that in any way, whether it's a comment or emailing me the story. Any of these stories, which you can do at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Thank you guys very much. Until next time, all my best.